0: Hey Life Center, I'm so glad you are here today because you are in for an incredible, incredible message. I'm excited to have my friend, Pastor Kyle Veach. He leads View Church up in Snohomish, Washington. And today you are in for a treat. In fact, I remember the first time I met Kyle, he was actually a cage fighter. It was amazing, like the ability that he had to manhandle people and then pray for them after they were out for the count. I mean, he is a man of faith. You know, in all honesty, I first met Kyle when he was a youth pastor still. I was working in youth ministry and we built a friendship and I love his passion for Jesus, his love for the church, his commitment to scripture to see people grow deeper in their faith. And so today, Life Center, would you put your hands together? Would you help me welcome my good friend, Pastor Kyle Beach? Come on, let's go.
1: You better pay attention. I'll beat you up. My word, my word. I am so cut and ripped, and I'll lay hands on you in the name of Jesus. I'll knock you into the spirit. Amen? Man, First thing, let's, just, let's do this real fast. Can we just thank, I think you have some of the greatest pastors in the world. It takes a lot for me to get out of my church and out of, away from my family and my community. And I think Tyler and Amber are just the best. I think their family is the best. I think you're the best because you have the best. And so can we just do honor and can we applaud them and thank them? Doing a great work here. The 253, everybody. I don't know anybody who loves their community more than the 253. People just love this place. My parents live in the 253, and when someone, uh, they live off Proctor and that kind of general area, and, and someone will make fun of Tacoma, and my dad, like, puffs his chest up and is like, excuse me? I'm like, Dad, it's Tacoma. And he's like, I know, go Rainiers. It's like, said no one but Tacoma. My family's at home. They're at our church. Our service is going on right now. If you could pray for my church. Love, love, love my church and my family. We've got three kids. My beautiful bride, Kara, and I, we just celebrated 14 years of marriage. Come on. 14 years. Three kids. Boston. Boston's our 10-year-old. He's our oldest. Boston's, uh, Boston's in charge, you guys. Uh, that's what he thinks. Anybody else have an oldest? He's like put together, dominates Legos. That's Boston, plays plays soccer. He plays every sport. Plays every sport. Uh, Beckham. Beckham. We we describe Beckham. He's eight years old. He's a Labrador. Beckham loves everyone and everything. Beckham's never been hurt before. Even if someone would try to hurt him, he'd come back to you and be like, What do you want to do? Do you want to play? I'll play. That's Beckham. And then and then there's Berkeley Bell. Berkeley Bell's five, and Berkeley Bell has stolen me. It's game over game over. I always tell everyone, she's my best friend. We don't pick favorites. That didn't work out well in the Bible, but uh, she's my best friend. She told me the other day, she was like, Dad, um, I, don't, I don't like being alone. And I was like, me either, girl. Me either. What do you want to do? You want to go get cake pops? Let's go. That's just Berkeley and I. I just I love it. So thankful to be here. For us to be able to look at the Word of God, for us to be able to grow together, and for us to be able to avoid the sun for a little bit. I mean, a little, little warm out there, a little warm out there. I love, I love the sun. A sun. I, I love summer. I love the heat. I'm annoyed by people in the Northwest who, who are like, I want this to go away. You go away. Move to Arizona. Get at Like, go, go. We, we get this for a week. Calm down. You can go on a rainy hike some other day, okay? Get off my back. Thursday's coming. Thursday, it's supposed to rain. So you're welcome, okay? Leave me alone. Let me just enjoy my sun and my summer. Open up your Bibles to the book of James, the book of James, the book of James. It's in the New Testament. Where are my Bible people at? Who has their Bible with them? That's what I'm talking about. They're not more saved than you, but like when we all go to heaven, they're getting in first. They carried their Bible. Like, they're, where, where are my app people? Where's my phone, phone Bible people? Come on. Come on. You guys are smart or you're a parent. That's what that is. You have a diaper bag, and you're like, I got my phone with me. Got that. Who's just waiting for it to come on the screen? You're like, just, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Like, just, no, there's no shame. It's the same word. Calm down, judges. Like, yeah, you got the Bible with you. Do you even read it? or just carry it to church? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Book of James, in the New Testament. If you don't know where James is, just go to the front. There's a whole list, and it'll tell you the page number. Don't be embarrassed by that, okay? Just get there. Anybody work out in the room? Anybody work out? Anybody work out? Come on, you can be, why are you clapping? You can clap, yeah. Raise your hand, raise your hand if you work out. Raise your hand. What a nightmare that is. Jeez Louise. I went on a run the other day. Where are my runners? Raise your hand if you run. Like four of us, four of us. What, you, you what running shoes do you wear? Brooke, see, running, running people are weird. We are all about our shoes. We are all about our shoes. I wear hokas. And immediately I judged him, okay? That's just a confession. It's a safe place. It's church. We can confess. I've judged him. I'm a hoka one one shoe runner. I went on a run the other day. I like to run. But I like to get ready when I run. Anybody else? I like to get ready. I like my running shorts. Why do running shorts have to be so short? And I, I'm, I'm in. I run in short shorts. Get off my back, okay? Got great legs. And like, got my running shorts on, got my running shoes, got my running shirt, got my running belt, got my running sunglasses, got my running hat. And sometimes when you work out, and we work out, we raised our hands earlier. Sometimes when you work out, immediately when you start, you think, this was a bad idea. (laughs) It doesn't matter how dressed up you got, how ready you got, you immediately thought, I wanna go home. I don't want to be here. I want to watch Netflix. Like, leave me alone. And I went on a run. I, I was 10 steps into this run. I was going on a four-mile run. That's to impress you. I was on a four-mile run. It's a basic, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a rest day. And uh, that guy. And uh, 10 steps into it, I thought to myself, I don't want to be here anymore. 10 steps in. Uh, this, this is horrible. I can't do this. And about 10 steps later, I thought to myself, I'm, I'm the best. I'm better than other people. Other people don't even run. I'm running. They sit on the couch. Like, you know, you can feel better than other people sometimes. Like mentally, if you ever run or work out, you realize immediately you're a mental midget. You're like mentally like I can't lift that much. I can't do this, and I'm on that run. And about a mile in, I thought to myself, I should just turn around and I get a two mile run in, and I'll be fine. That's good enough. Then I thought to myself, literally, this is what's going on. This is what I'm dealing with. You people, like I thought to myself, really, you're not going to be a man of your word. You're not going. Your yes isn't going to be your yes. Your no isn't going to be your no. You said you're running four miles. Run four miles, you loser. So I kept going, and it was like 1.5 miles, and I was like, I should turn around. You realize, like, this was happening. But, you know, all said and done, long story short, four miles, I end up finishing, and I just think to myself, like, what happened out there? That was weird. Like, I I should have more control than that. I, I think, really, it's a picture on how so many of us, we walk with Jesus and what it's like. It's we have what I would entitle two minds but one head. That there's something in us that says, uh, I, I want to follow God, I want to read my Bible, I want to pray more, but then you never do it. Like you meet Jesus, and you're like, I'm gonna stop sinning, and I'm gonna stop doing these things, but you keep sinning and you keep doing those things. It's not that you're, you, you don't, you want to do those things, you want to live this holy life, you want to follow God, you want to stop gossiping, you want to stop being so angry, you want to stop drinking so much, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to but you do something else. This relate with anybody? Yeah. There's two minds, but really we only got one head. And James, he covers this, he talks about this. It's called this entitled moment in scripture called drawing close to God. And I want us to engage these 10 verses and watch them transform us, watch them challenge us, and watch them move us. James chapter 4, verse 10, verse 1 through 10 says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme to kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask for God for it. Verse 3. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Verse 4, James kind of attacks us. He says, you adulterers. And immediately we think to ourselves, like, that's so mean that that's, I'm not. I'm not adulterous. I've never had an affair. I've never. I've never done that. You're like, James, you're wrong. Well, what he's speaking to is this Greek word that would lead us to this idea that adultery is committed is is going against a covenant. A covenant is an Old Testament word of a promise. A, pro- a covenant would be made when, uh, at, at an altar when, uh, when something would be killed and a promise were to be made. You'd go to the altar and make this covenant, this promise with God that, I, that I'll follow you, that I'll do these things. And what he's saying, is saying, he's saying, you say one thing, yet you do another. You made a promise that you would follow God. We've all done these audacious prayers before. I'll never drink again. I'll never sin again. I'm going to read my Bible. Anybody ever start a reading plan, like a Bible reading plan? Yeah? Anybody ever finish one? You said you were going to do something, but you, you did something else. You said you were showing up to a restaurant at 5. You showed up at like 5.45. you you're breaking a promise. You're breaking a covenant. Don't you realize that, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Wow, James, pump the brakes a little bit. And I love that he doubles down on it. He says, I'll say it again. Always notice when Scripture repeats itself. He says, I'll, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And this is really the message in, in, in one moment in Scripture, verse 5. Do you, th- do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? Isn't that world right now? Right now, come on. You ever read the book of Daniel? The things we're walking through aren't new. We, all, we have such a victim mentality. Oh, the world's so bad. What is God gonna do? Did you read the Bible? Did you read the book of Daniel? Did you read the Old Testament? Like things that are happening right now have happened before and God always prevails. God always wins. God's people are always victorious. God's word always stays true. And so do we think the scriptures are real or are we going to bend and break to conform to the world? Because the more we, act, more we spend time in the world, the more we'll look like the world. But the more we spend time in the word of God, we'll look like Jesus. So the scripture's real? Or they, do, you, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him and give us grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse seven, so humble yourselves before God. Resist, say no, come on, not not today, Satan. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, pandemic people, please. You should have washed them before. We didn't need the WHO and the CDC to tell us that we were bad hand washers. You found out, though. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for the loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Oh, geez, James. And gloom instead of joy. Verse 10, we get a little bit better. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the time that we have together. May we honor you with our time, honor you with our words, our thoughts. May we go close to you, we thank you so much for your provision, for your guidance, and we just pray, uh, we pray favor over the Mariners. May they trade for Juan Soto and make the playoffs. Amen. Come on, everybody. Can I get an amen? Jeez Louise, that's a good amen. I, I think it's funny how sometimes we, we commonly think that the Bible is just all about us. It's all about me. It's all about who I am. No, no, the Bible wasn't written to you, but it's written for you. Okay, so so we've got to learn who the original hearer is. We've got to know who's digesting and who's writing this. This is James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. You think you have, like, a weird Thanksgiving? Imagine being in a bunk bed with Jesus. Jesus one day is like, yeah, James, I'm the Messiah. James is like, yeah, me too. You think you got like family sibling rivalry? Jesus walked on water. What'd you do, like James? James, The Bible teaches us that James didn't even believe that 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 Jesus was the Messiah. Of course he didn't. He's his brother. Like, whoever believes what the brother's gonna do? Like, no, no one ever in the history. Like, so here James got, you know, he's got these brother complex and, you know, all the, the 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 three gospels, the synoptic gospels, they tell us this moment, he doesn't believe. And then he comes to believe and understand that Jesus is the Messiah and he gives his life and he follows him. He writes this book, the book of James. The book of James is the first New Testament letter, okay? It's the first book penned. It would have been written between Acts 8 and Acts 11. So the earliest of the early Christians are getting the this letter from James, okay? That this document, this moment to encourage them and direct them. It's five chapters, it's hundred and eight verses, and half of it, 54, are directives, our movements, our calls of action. I like James. James gets to the point immediately. James doesn't call to say how you're doing. James calls you to say you're doing it wrong. Like that's James. I like this guy. He's like planes, trains, and automobiles. Have a point. It's so much better for the listener, okay? Four people got that reference. Thank you. he writes this book, and, and he's writing it to original Hebrews, Jewish people who are following Judaism. They're following law. They're following religion. And then Jesus changed their life, and they went on the run. They're scattered. This is where we're getting just a scattered group of people who are scared for their lives because they, they know or they saw Jesus get killed. And now that they follow him, the same will happen to them. So they're worried. They're afraid. Family's gotten rid of them. Friends have disappeared own them. Sound familiar when you follow Jesus? It's not all cookie cutter and nice and easy and all these, all these different things. Like, it can be really difficult sometimes. And James is writing this letter to these people and he's saying, like, like, why are you guys fighting? I think sometimes I watch our world. I especially watch Christianity. Have you seen us? And I think to myself, why are we fighting? Why is there so much division? Why is there so much disunity? Why do we care about things that don't matter when salvation is the only thing that matters and it heals the world? So I think the first thing we're going to walk away from this passion in this moment is that, G- remember, Jesus set you free. Amen? Amen. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our healer. Jesus removed sin from our life. Jesus went to a cross for you. Jesus came to earth for you. Jesus lived for 33 years, three years of a public ministry. Jesus gave everything. He hung on a cross. He died. He went into a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, it was empty because He walked out because He defeated death for you. So we've got to then live like we are free, not in bondage. We should represent light, not darkness. We should represent unity, not disunity. We should represent hope, not, 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 not a dis-hope that, that's not going anywhere. We should represent a future, a present, and a past so we know where we've been, we know where we are, and we know where we're going. And it always follows the word of God. It always follows where he's taking us. But when we get distracted by the things of the world, we forget that Jesus set us free. Jesus set us free. James chapter 4, verse 1. What? What are are you guys fighting? What's causing all these problems, these quarrels? And I know I can prove this point by saying one thing. Facebook. Have you ever opened up that nightmare? Buy a journal. Get off Facebook. Wow. I've gotten into your headspace, and it's weird. Things are flat that are round. You're getting it. (laughs) What are we thinking? We're fighting about things that don't matter when a world's going to hell. And you're set free so you think everything's good. And you might make it into heaven. But what about the world that you're called to reach? What's causing this? Why are we doing this? We live in this house divided. And this pain and this anguish of what's happening this lost mentality. I think it's because of this, just because you're free doesn't mean there isn't work to be done. Just because you're free doesn't mean there isn't work to be done. Just because you met Jesus, because you, like, like, like think about that moment of salvation for you. Maybe it was years ago, maybe it was days ago. Maybe it's today. You walked into a church, you were in a, a room, you're You're with a friend. The moment you raise your hand, you confess through your mouth, you believe in your heart, Jesus Christ, Lord, you receive that salvation. And I, I think sometimes we're, we're sold the bill of goods that everything's going to be great from that day forward. No, 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 just because you met Jesus doesn't mean you know how to act like Jesus. I'll prove it this way. My, 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 my older two boys, uh, Boston and Beckham, they played club soccer. And so they, they, made, a, uh, they made this you know, club soccer team. And it's awesome and prestigious and all, the, all this kind of like, Accolades, and they're all excited, and they go out. All these hundreds of kids are out there, and they made the team, and so they make the team, and they, they you know, we, we, they get the jersey, and they get the bag, and they're all proud of themselves. And but you know what the reality is? They're not any good. Oh my word! Have you seen an eight-year-old play soccer? What? I listen to some of the parents; they think their kids good. And I'm like, no, your kid's not good. Like, do you want me to tell them, or do you want to? Because the goal's that way, just cause, But just because. But but they go to practice multiple times a week, and every day they're a little bit. Better. Every time they go, they're a little bit better. This is why your church attendance matters. Not so that the church can get bolstered, but it's so that every time you come, you can learn, you, you can worship, you can engage, you, you you can you can grow a little bit, you gotta be refined. You, you gotta you gotta step in, you gotta bring worship into your house, you gotta bring the Bible into your house, you you, you gotta bring praise into your home. Like you want to raise godly children, teach them and, and begin to look like Jesus, not like the world. Like, like you gotta begin to fight for this thing so that people know that you Are a Jesus follower. It's not a good thing when people are surprised that you follow Jesus. There's work to be done. This is why discipleship matters. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to tithe. You've got to fast. You've got to Sabbath. You've got to do the things like Jesus. But when we just always are consumed by the world, don't be surprised why you're angry like the world. But when you spend a lot of time with Jesus, Don't be surprised that the things that used to make you angry aren't so important anymore. I think some of us, we begin to sit here and we're like, yeah, I do this. I think there's a gauge for whether we're following Jesus or not. Because forgiven people talk to God forgiven. When we live forgiven, when we are free, we begin to speak freedom over ourselves and over others. Because what you pray for reveals what matters to you. Oh, what you pray for reveals what matters to you. Prayer's a wild little concept, right? Here's the, here's the creator of the heavens and the earth. God, deity, like on a throne, up in heaven, and he's like, call me up anytime. I've got three kids, half the time when they're talking to me, I'm ignoring them. They're always talking. I want, I need, I have to have. I got to have silence. Calm down. God never has that with us. He, he's desperate for to hear our voice. He's desperate to hear what you have to say. He's desperate to begin to talk to you. He's desperate to hear your problems. And when you bring your problems to him, he's not surprised by them because he's already with you. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that he could always be with us. There's this big word called omnipresent. God is always with us. Holy Spirit is always with us. If you met him, he's inside of you and he is with you. So when you begin to speak out to him, he already knows but he still cares to listen. But what you pray for matters. Prayer's a wild concept to me. What if your prayers got answered? I I was golfing the other day. I prayed for a hole in one. I said, Lord, heal this land. We pray revival for this hole. Take one guess where that ball went. Into the water. He opposes the proud, amen? What if your prayers actually got answered? I I think the wildest moment when a prayer got answered, who remembers the story of Lazarus? Raise your hand, remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus, Lazarus. Okay, someone tell me, someone tell us, What, what, what happened with Lazarus? Someone tell me, just yell it out. He died, and then what? We got some mumbling that something might happen. I'm gonna need a little more distinct. Response for what happened to Lazarus. He raised, he raised got raised from the dead. How long was he dead? That's a long dead time. I just want to like make make note of that. That's a long time to be to be dead. His sisters, they, his sister went to Jesus, was like, You gotta heal Lazarus. Can you imagine? Like what a miracle. That like, like, but what about from Lazarus' point of view? Not a miracle. You ever think about that? That's, Lazarus coming back from the dead is not a miracle in his eyes. Have you ever been in the desert before? It's 90 degrees, we're all complaining. You ever been in the desert? That's where Lazarus lives. Sand everywhere, it's 120 degrees, no wind, no water, no food, nothing. He goes to heaven. You know what our golden life is? heaven. He's finally there. He's there for four days. The roads are actually gold. He's there. He's got a mansion, people. He went from whatever you live in in the desert to a mansion. He's getting his side table already. He's got his water bottle. He's worshiping God all day. And then one day someone comes and knocks on his door. Uh, Lazarus, um, we've got an announcement. He's like, what? Like angel of the week, like what is it? Like what? What? Uh... Um, you've been you've been called back to earth. Can you imagine? He's like watching Jesus walk to his body. Like don't go away, leave me alone. No, you stop it. Healed. You know what Scripture says? It. Lazarus and Jesus never talked to each other again. Why would you? You went from a mansion back to the desert. This is awful. What if your prayers actually got answered? What, what if your prayer life actually like came true? What, because what you pray for reveals how selfish you actually are. How self-centered, how caring about your individualistic, how, how caring about your ideals and your opinions matter more than actually the kingdom of God. Well, I think actually if we revealed our prayer life, we would embar- we'd be embarrassed of our prayer life. Because commonly when I talk to people about their prayer life, they immediately go to the length of their prayers I would say that the length of your prayer is unimportant, but your prayers are really important. What you pray for matters longer than how long you pray. I've been in long prayer circles. I've prayed that prayers stop. You ever been in that prayer meeting before? You're like, oh, I hope I hope Marianne doesn't pray. Oh gosh. You're like holding hands. This isn't prayer, this is gossip. (laughs) Prayers really matter, though. James chapter four, verse three. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Oh, man, the Bible's good. You want only what gives you pleasure. You want only what is about you. What you pray for for reveals what matters to you, what is really important to you, what's a big deal to you. You know, I think even scarier than a prayerless individual is a prayerless church. But a reflection of a prayerless church is a prayerless individual. And a church that always just prays for itself. And a church that always just cares about its individual. See, a prayerless church is a faithless church. And a faithless church is a fruitless church. And I think we see that a little too much. And that's called self-preservation church but this is called the ends of the earth church. The the, the directive is so clear. To the ends of the earth we go. And that's why you should really care about Tacoma. That's why you should really care about the 253. That's why you should really care about what happens across the street and the next street and every street. That's why you should pray for this church and that church and the other church. That's why you should want everybody to meet Jesus, not just you. Your hands really reveal your heart though. Because what you pray for is what you'll try to touch and what you'll try to, try to be a part of. James chapter four, verse eight. It says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, pur- Excuse me, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I know a lot of worldly Christians who don't look like God. And I think it's commonly because we are too quiet with our praise. We're too quiet with our worship. We're too quiet with our story. Because this moment where the Bible tells us in James to come close to God, that's not a hip to hip. That's not a proximity. It actually would be described as a posture of your heart of worship. That James isn't saying, come close to God, sit on top of your Bible. No, 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 he's saying literally to worship God. And when you worship him, his nearness is even closer to you than you could ever imagine. We're just too quiet with our worship. So many of us, we just think worship is a warm-up for the message. Think about Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. The Israelites getting out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, wandering the desert. Miracle, miracle, disappointment. They go through everything. And for them to get into the promised land, they have to defeat Jericho, the first city to be able to get into the promised land. When they get to Jericho, there's nothing but a giant wall surrounding it. You know the story, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. And so they begin to walk around the city that looks like they can never defeat it. They could never break it down. Think about what is in your life that you could never break down. The addiction, the story, the the identity, the past, the something that someone said about you that you're like, I'll never break down this wall. They begin to walk around the walls for six days. And on the seventh day, the priest pulls out the trumpet and begins to blow it. And the walls begin to fall because walls of resistance fall in the presence of God. When we begin to worship him, walls begin to fall. Addictions, uh, 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 marital strife, kids, kids come home when you worship and you praise God. Your marriage comes home when you worship and you praise God. You get your your church in the house of the Lord. That when your house is built on the foundation and a firm foundation, everything changes. God can tear down walls of resistance, walls of division, walls of racism, walls of anger, walls of family hurt, walls of your past, walls that you thought would never be broken. In the presence of God, they'll be broken. Walls fall at the shout of God's people. It's exhausting living two lives. It's exhausting being addicted to something and hiding it from the people you love most. It's exhausting living in shame. It's exhausting saying, I'm going to do one thing and doing another. So James says, wash your hands. He says, wash your hands. We know, we know a little too much about that now. I thought I, was a, I thought I was a good hand washer, right? Come on. I thought I did a good job. You know, I got a little soap, did a little rinse thing and moved on. And then the pandemic hit, and I was like, I'm not a good hand washer. I like, such pride in my hand washing. Find out I'm not a good one. Anybody else, like, I'm all about when I walk into Target or, like, a place like that, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the Purell. I'm like, walk through, shop through, I go back in my car, It's the good stuff. Man, That the you, you know the difference? Like, I didn't. I thought all Purell was created equal. There's some stuff on there where I was like, I think that's just straight alcohol, guys. My hands are literally burning and I've got no cuts. Like, I don't know what's going on. We all put Purell in our cars. Come on, you start putting it in your car, start washing your hands. Some of you didn't, and you judge people who did? You judger. See, because just because you can wash your hands, and you should... It doesn't mean that you can clean your heart, though. Only God can do that. Did you ever know that family put together clean on the outside? Show up to church every single week. They bring bring a Bible to church, but like a big, I got like a skinny one. They got like the big one. On the outside, everyone looks good, but on the inside, it's impure. On the inside, it's worldly. On the inside, God's not even present. On the inside, see, you can clean your hands, but only God can clean your heart. And that is salvation, and that is freedom, and that is grace, and that is the hope to even why we are here, because he can do something that we could never do. So I think to, to close, and how we do this, is we've got to let God be God. He's the ruler. He's the king of kings. He's the prince of peace. He's the hope for all nations. He's the healer. He's the baptizer. He's the soon-and-coming king. He is everything. There's a lot of bad leaders, but there's one really good one, and his name's God. God. There's a lot of households going wayward because fathers aren't leading their homes. There's a lot of of businesses going wayward because leadership aren't aren't leading. There's a lot of individuals who are walking away from God just because we're not letting God be God. We've got to get out of the way and let him to be the healer. Let him to be the hope. James chapter four, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself cause and effect. When you humble yourself, God lifts you. When you lift yourself, God humbles you. This is what happens. Oh, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are. You're you're, You're a leader of your household. You're a leader over your life. You're a leader over sphere of friends and influence. You might not be the most outspoken, but you're present, which means you're a leader. And people always watch Light because they can't see in darkness. So if you represent light, you represent leadership. You represent hope and a friendship. Matthew chapter 23 verse 12, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs chapter three verse 34, he mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. As I told you, my, my oldest is 10 years old, and his name's Boston. This was a great idea until I realized he's uh, a Red Sox fan. You got someone to excommunicate. Exhausting. Literally, you proved my point. Red Sox fans are exhausting. No one's ever been threatened by the A's. The angels were good. So my son, the Red Sox come to town. He's like, we, can we go to the Mariners game? It's like, absolutely. So I come out, you know, I got my Mariners hat on, my Dan Wilson, praise God. And he walks out of his room, just Red Sox hat. I'm like, pump the brakes, bud. Goes Red Sox T-shirt. I was like, I don't know if I can drive you. And he was exhausting. Every time the Red Sox did they would walk on the field. He's like, let's go, boys. He's yelling. He's looking at me. You know, they get a hit. He looks back at me. Come on, Dad. I'm like, oh, my word. Go sit somewhere else, please. (laughs) Next thing I know, the Mariners do something. I'm standing talking trash to him, my 10-year-old. What? I just I loved his loyalty though. I love that other fans chirped at him and he chirped right back. I loved his loyalty. Because the question that James is asking in this moment, in this passage, and in his book, he's asking, who is God to you? Is he the leader of your life? Or is he not? Really what he's saying is, is is Jesus an option or is he everything? Is he sometimes or always? That's the difference between this moment. That's the difference between two minds and one head. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are God, that you are in control, that you guide us, that you lead us, and that you are with us, and you sent your son to die for us. If you're in the room right now, just with eyes closed and head bowed, and you don't know Jesus, you've never met him before in your life, or been around church for a little bit, today you want to give your life to him. I'll give you an opportunity in just a moment to raise your hand. In that moment, we'll confess with our mouth, we'll believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that we are forgiven forever. In that moment, you get saved, and then you know now that there's work to be done. So if that's you, just go and raise your hand and say, that's me, I want to get saved today. I want to meet Jesus, amen. Anybody in this room? Amen. 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 Four hands up, five hands up. Anybody else in the room? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we pray for hands that are raised today. We pray by the confession of their mouth, by the forgiveness that is in their heart right now. As, you, as your Holy Spirit just enters in them right now, may there be a transformation. May scales fall off eyes. May addictions and heartbreak and anger and darkness be broken in the name of Jesus because of the salvation. May there be a moment of forgiveness of sins and the moment of repentance. God, we love you. And we thank you and all God's children applaud as loud as they could as five people just got saved. Amen? Amen. Come on, everybody.